welcome to episode number 100 of the Balance Ballerinas podcast. As always, I am your host, Georgia, and if you don't know anything about me and you've stumbled across this podcast episode, um, it's a very special one. (laughs) And if you don't know who I am, it's probably a good place to start because I'm about to be interviewed. But if you would like to hear the intro that I always give, honestly, just listen back to the last episode or the one before that or the one before that, because today we are jumping straight into a walk down memory lane. I can't believe that my little passion project has reached a hundred episodes today. We've covered so many incredible and important topics. I'm just going to name a few. We've covered the power of moving meditation, ageism and the mature dancer, aka the topic of hashtag adult ballet, nutrition and the importance of listening to your body. We've covered scoliosis, hypermobility, autoimmune disease and mental illness, just to name a few. And something else you know I love talking about, small business and entrepreneurship in the dance world. We've covered safe stretching, audition tips, lots of goal setting and really important topics like period positivity in the ballet world. That episode with Ali Maz is one of my favorites and I still think about that topic today and I need to also do an update. So don't worry, I'll do an update on that soon. But period positivity in the ballet world and also ballet uniforms as younger students, you know, trying to meet a middle ground between what students want and teachers want is a really important topic that we have brought up on the podcast. We've also, most importantly, spoken about the power of connection and community and why that's so important is because that is what Balanced Ballerinas is all about, the power of connection and community. And it has turned into, gosh, a really powerful community that I'm just so incredibly proud of. And I need to thank all of you for being part of that. But that's just a few standout topics as we've covered really a lot over the years between solo episodes and interviews with really fabulous guests. And it all began with sharing my TEDx talk, Why Ballet is Brilliant, back in December 2018, before I convinced my gorgeous friends and students, Sonia York Price, artist, and Laura Trimble Thompson, yoga and movement specialist, to be the first guests on the podcast. And then since then, we've discussed books and ballet with authors Kerry Turner and most recently Mary Lee, who wrote Mary's Last Dance, a really incredible story about her sacrifice for husband Lee Schwing Singh, artistic director of QB in his career. Fabulous Easter read if you're looking for a book. Um, It's also been a pleasure highlighting small business. Like I said, I love discussing entrepreneurship and we've done so with Virginia from Demi Point Dancewear, Queensland Ballet soloist Lena Kim from Lena Dancewear and Ashley Ellis from Rubia Wear, everyone's favourite leg warmers. (laughs) And it's also been my intention to highlight the work of so many incredible medical professionals who specialise in dance and ballet. Dr. Linda Bloonstein on hypermobility. Um, There's Philippa from Stage Minded. Terry Hyde on mental health comes to mind. And of course, Deborah Crookshanks, Louise Drysdale and Sarah Kiley, um, who are all incredible women and who always have our back when it comes to physiotherapy and dance. Now, obviously, I can't 
mention every single person that I've interviewed on the podcast. There's been a lot, but just a few standouts that I would like to just shout out. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Australia's longest serving ballerina, Lucinda Dunn, the Australian ballet's Amber Scott, the incredible Finus Young, Point Shoe Fairy Godmother Josephine Lee, adult ballet pioneer Catherine Morgan, Forbes 30 Under 30 and American ballet theatre soloist Gabe Stone Shea, world-renowned choreographer Meryl Tankard and most recently the superb Rani Luther. I've had guests turn into dear friends and mentors that I will cherish forever, like Dr. Andrea Robertson. Go back and listen to that episode. If you are one of my 12-week course participants, you will know all about Dr. Andrea Robertson as she does all the health and wellness part of that course. And you can listen to that episode and just listen to us fall in love with one another. (laughs) That was literally our first meeting. And by the end of that, we were friends forever. Um, another dear friend that I've made through the podcast is the incredible Marie Walton Mann from Progressing Ballet Technique. And I've also been able to walk down memory lane with my childhood coach, Paul Boyd, when I interviewed him. That was a really special one for me. And looking back at all these episodes, it's been a really emotional roller coaster with navigating COVID sharing what it was like to be considered a non-essential business. And then the loss of my dear friend, Kathy, which is one of the only episodes that I actually revisit often. I would say I listen to it three or four times a year. I don't know, just when I feel like I need a Kathy dose. And along with the lows, I've also shared the incredible highs like my philanthropic adventure to Africa to deliver ballet classes and dancewear. I shared my wedding in which my sister and I just giggled for about 45 minutes. And of course, announcing my new bundle of joy, which arrives in July. I think the podcast was the first place where I announced it. So there you go. And I've truly, as you can tell, grown up alongside these episodes amongst the guests and it's been incredible to recently listen back to some earlier episodes and just notice how much my heart has expanded and my thoughts have really evolved. But most notably, I want to thank all my fellow studio owners, dance teachers, parents and students who make up the BB community and some who've even been guests on the pod Without each and every one of you, Balanced Ballerinas wouldn't exist. And it brings me just a huge amount of joy knowing how much the story and values that this community stands for resonates with you all. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A few months ago, I did a call out for topic suggestions for episode number 100. And I was quite surprised at how many people wanted me to be interviewed. And at first I was like, absolutely not, because it felt far too self-indulgent. But then the very gorgeous and talented Stacey Morgan, who is a studio owner, business coach, podcaster, and my childhood jazz teacher, said I absolutely needed to be interviewed for this special episode and it would be her absolute pleasure to do so. So thank you, Miss Stacy, for the push that I needed. And thank you for always being such a beautiful support and role model in my life. 
a relationship I will treasure forever. For anyone interested in Stacey's work with women in business, I've linked her website in the show notes below. But this is sounding like a curtain call. (laughs) This is not my curtain call. This is only the beginning of Balanced Ballerinas. As you all know, I always have big plans and I love consistency and I'm not going anywhere. Now, let's get into Miss Stacey's interview with me. Gosh, that sounds very weird to say. And to everyone who has ever given the podcast a five-star review, left a comment, sent in a voice note, contributed to a topic, shared the pod maybe with a friend or screenshot and shared on their socials. Thank you just so, so very much. In fact, if you're listening right now and you want to give the podcast a little gift for reaching 100 episodes, just screenshot and share on your socials, tag me in it so I can see and I'll be forever grateful. So without further ado, let's get stuck straight into it. Well, welcome, Miss Georgia, to your own podcast. Congratulations, 100 episodes. How exciting. I know, it's crazy. And I usually am the one saying welcome to the podcast, but I need to sit back and be quiet and let you ask the questions today. (laughs) Please sit back and relax because I'm so honoured to be here. I'm so incredibly thrilled that you asked me to interview you. And I think it's important that your audience gets to see the other side of you, gets to see a different perspective, because of course, you've been growing this beautiful community. And I am so lucky to have been able to step into your space in real life and be able to take class from you and your gorgeous studios. But the online community that you've built and this following that you've built is really exceptional. And I'm so incredibly proud that I've known you for so many years and seen this journey for you. It makes me uh, really proud to be here and really honoured to be able to interview you today. So for those people who don't um, know how your journey with ballet started, what was it that in the beginning made you just fall in love? Um, I do remember going to performances with mum and being that little girl who, yes, I thought it was wonderful, but I wanted to be the one on stage doing what they were doing. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I was really young when I started, like, I wish there was a more romantic story, but I was three years old and mum put me in ballet. I lived in country Ballarat, Victoria. Um, And actually ballet is big in Ballarat. (laughs) Very big. And um, there's been some beautiful dancers come out of there. Um, There's some amazing ballet schools. And so I think it was just something that I did because that's what little girls do. Um, I -hmm. think the pivotal moment of sticking to it was probably when we moved to the Gold Coast and mum didn't find me a new ballet studio right away and I pestered her and pestered her and trialled many (laughs) ballet schools that weren't really ballet schools and I was like this is not the right school for me and I just annoyed her until she found me a ballet school to attend so I think that was mum was then like oh okay she she really loves this so we better yeah we better find a, a place for her <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, I I dream now as a ballet teacher, I dream of that moment of having someone with your gorgeous legs and feet and your passion for it walking in and saying, I'm, you know, I'm here and I'm a new student from Ballarat that, you know, those ballet teachers must have just thought they were in absolute heaven. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my teacher, I think she still teaches today, was Kay Flynn on the Gold Coast. And she was my first 
my first, you know, proper ballet teacher that I can remember because um, I, I don't actually really remember my teachers in Ballarat. Um, I was so little, but I do remember at three years old, which is wild, we had to have ribbons on our shoes, which wow. is crazy because every time I post a photo of these tiny little ballet shoes, people are like, oh, what? You had ribbons on them at three? So all I remember is is mum doing them up and doing them up so tight that my ankles looked like they were going to, like, lose circulation. <laughs> but So I don't actually remember the class or my teachers, but I remember the ribbons on my shoes. Um, so Kay Flynn on the Gold Coast was my first ballet teacher, and she was my, yeah, she's still around today, still teaching. She has a studio, and um, I've sent her a message every now and then, and we still occasionally stay connected. But, um, she's yeah, she was a big part of my life growing up. And that passion that you would have brought into that room for that first, you know, that those first classes with Miss Flynn, I guess, when you found your home, when you found somewhere that was to your standards for your for your ballet class. Does that surprise <laughs> you? I think it's just perfect. I think it's a perfect part of your story. You must have really, um, you must have really felt at home because um, that passion that you had then just grew and grew and grew. I know our paths connected yes. when you were 11 or 12, were you 11 or 12, 13, somewhere around yeah. those those vital ages where, where you were growing up. This little girl with so much so much passion and these gorgeous legs and feet and um, that, that was so eager to please and so eager to, to improve. That passion that you found in that environment must have inspired you um, to where you are now in that you are growing an environment that you hope that young girls walk into and feel like they can be at home and feel like their passion can really be ignited. What is it from those early days that you have taken on that now inf- is infused into the work that you do now? Um, I uh, I mean, if, I, if I'm absolutely honest, I absolutely can see, and I, and I think this this happens with lots of teachers that you meet along the way. Um, how do I how do I word this? You take the positives and the negatives, and everyone has positives and negatives in regards to their their teaching ability. But I think what I've always done as my own teacher in my own studio is I really wanted to be the teacher that I dreamt of. Mm-hmm. Um, the teacher that I've, I've really, I hope, become the teacher that I always wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually what I was going to say, because as you were sort of going down memory lane there, um, you, I have such fond memories of you because Miss Stacy was probably the first jazz teacher that I connected with. So you made me fall in love with like other styles other than ballet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> and we did this amazing dance and I'm trying to rack my brain to like what the song was. It was like really rock and roll and it was so unlike me. And mum was like, when I saw you on stage, she was like, you're a different dancer, like a different little girl. And she was like, that was so good. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I just miss Stacey this, miss Stacey that. And that's why whenever you drop in and visit, mum's like so fond of you because, you know, there's <laughs> there's not too many teachers that, that passed my test, miss Stacey. <laughs> well, <laughs> passed my, a, my standard. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's an incredible honor and and really nice to hear because so often I think in that in that age we like to pigeonhole ourselves as to as to what we are. I know my students do it all the time. Like I'm 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 a ballerina, I like the ballet. I like musical theater and they kind yeah. of think of themselves as you know specific to one genre but across you know in my studio it's so important that they get access to lots of different styles whether it be ballet jazz tap musical theater contemporary because I feel like in the ballet studio that's the perfect place to learn it's the perfect place to stand up it's a perfect perfect place to dust yourself off it's the perfect place to fall down and I love giving my students the opportunity to do exactly that, to get outside of their comfort zone and to try something new in the safety of our studio where they're around people who are supporting mm. them and loving them and lifting them up so that when they go out into the big world and they have to you know, go for a new job or try a new skill or their boss puts them into a new role where they're completely out of their depth, they have that background and that foundation to be able to go, okay, well, this is hard, but I've, I've, I've done hard things before. Remember that tap routine Miss Stacey made me do? Or remember that oh jazz routine to that rock and roll music that Miss Stacey made me do? So I'm, I, I love that you're feeding back to me, you know, what I hold so dear now with my students and the stories that I tell my students, I'll have to be sure to make them um, listen to this episode of the podcast. Yeah. Well, cause you pushed, you pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I think that a good teacher does that. And I think a wholehearted and well-rounded dance education does that as well. I mean, I'm constantly saying to any students who do want to be a professional dancer, well, you can't just do ballet. You have to pick Mm -hmm. up some jazz and you have to pick up some contemporary. And I had some really pivotal role models that told me that. Um, Paul Boyd, my coach growing up, said Mm -hmm. she also needs to pick up singing because who knows, you want to stay versatile um, and, you know, she might want to go down the musical theatre path. So, you know, she, she can hold a tune. Why not just fine-tune that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it's it's really fulfilling when, like you said, a student goes, oh, and they appreciate and thank you for pushing them out of their comfort zone when they really didn't want to do it to begin with. Yeah, so I, I think... Um, with opening my studio I wanted it always to have like a really strong classical ballet base because I believe so much in that and it's my thing it's my jam but um, it's also important to sort of um, give them a well-rounded dance education because I think especially in today's world you can't pigeonhole yourself Mm-mm. absolutely not and it that's a hard message to get across to young determined you know, det- determined young people who say, no, this is, I've got my, I've got my goals. I've got my plan mapped out. I'm going to go from here to this school, to that company, to, to mm. these roles. And before I know it, I'll be dancing this on this stage. So it's, it is really important because we never know where, where this journey is going to take us, whether that is, you know, down the dance route or, or elsewhere. So talk mm. to us about your journey from, you know, obviously that very influential moment when I taught you that jazz routine. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> through uh, to the next part of uh, life changing, it must have been, uh, through to the next part of your journey. So talk to us about, um, you know, leaving the Gold Coast and, and where ballet took you from that point. So um, I had in my head that I wanted to be in the Australian Ballet Company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the listeners have had this before, but probably just in little parts every now and then. I said to mum and dad, that's where I'm going. It was always on my goals list. My parents used to make us sit down, you know, at the beginning of January and write down a goals list, like way before Beautiful. it was trendy. Way before it was trendy. Yeah. You know, me, me and my brother and sister would be made to sit down. 
and we'd do it all at the same time and then we'd hand them in like homework to our parents and they would sit down. Yeah, they would sit down and they would go, okay, well, A, you've either got too much on this list, which they often Mm -hmm. said. Um, I often popped in a few more things that I should have. And they said, well, Georgia, what's number one priority? Because I wanted to be cross-country champion at school and I wanted to also play tennis and I wanted to swim. I was a terrible swimmer. I wanted to do so many different things. And mum would always say, what's the number one? And I would be like, I want to be in the Australian ballet. And she'd be like, why the Australian ballet? And I would be like, well, because they're the top of Australia uh, mm-hmm. in the ballet world. And mm-hmm. that's where I want to be. And that's just was so me to be like, who's the top, you know? And mum would say, well, what about, you know, is there any fallback plan there? And I'd be like, no, you know, that that's where I'm going to go. And I didn't, I know I remember not wanting to go overseas very clearly because I was like, I want to stay in Australia and that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And so for years that was my goal. And every year I auditioned for the full-time program. I did this for about five years. Every mm-hmm. year I got in and every year my parents said, no, not yet. I, it got, I knew, it, I yeah. couldn't imagine that you were going to tell me a story where every year you auditioned and you didn't get in because I remember what <laughs> that little ballerina, how gifted you were and so they said no, which, oh, would have been tough for them. Yeah. But also really tough for you going, it's just there. I can see it. I can smell it. It's like, yeah. all is just so close. Yeah. Um, but what incredible, what an incredible opportunity for re- resilience building for you. Okay. So yeah. what's the, you I know, think, what? Yeah. I think it's also a really good example of, I mean, I think back to my parenting from mum and dad and, gosh, they made some tough calls where they were the parent, you know, and they knew that it was too early. Like, you know, and I still believe today that you do not have to go and do full-time dance at 11 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that. Um, and so they just knew, no, you never know. She needs her education for as long as possible, like, you know, school, academic education. You could break your leg tomorrow. Um, and they were also just making sure because it's really expensive to send your child down yes. to the Australian Ballet School to train as a professional dancer. The fees at the time, I don't know if they do that anymore, were um, subsidised by the government because you're in an elite program. However, mm-hmm. you have to pay for your child's accommodation and food and rent and all sorts of things. And so they wanted to make sure that I was set, you know, on this plan. So it got to the point where... Um, the head of the school, Lee Rolls, of uh, the school at the time, said, Sharon, um, I don't <laughs> know if they do this anymore, but they called my parents and they said, if she auditions again next year and she turns us down again, that's it. We won't offer you another position because I'd turned it down so many times that they were like, come on, you're either coming or you're not. And yeah. I think mum and dad would have actually said no another time that that conversation made them go, oh, we don't actually know much about the ballet world, so we don't want to ruin any chances she has. We better let her go. Yeah. So I remember being 14 and a half, and the rule was that I had to be over 15, but I was 14 and a half, and they said yes. So close. So close, <laughs> and they let me go. So that was my next little journey for a couple of years um, down at the Aussie Ballet School, and as a lot of the listeners already know, when I got down there, I sort of looked around and I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I had built up in my head, I think, 
this very romantic idea of what a professional ballerina should look like. Mm-hmm. And I was always, um, and I'm probably still like this today, I like to present myself a certain way and I was shocked that the company members all looked homeless. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's trash bag ballet fashion, you know, and I just wasn't. Oh, I know know exactly what you mean. I I know. And, I mean, it wasn't just that. That was just one. That was the first thing I noticed as young Georgia, you know, because we shared the hallways and the eating areas and the studios with the company members. So you're living and breathing their air and it was, like, amazing. But at the same time, I was like, I don't see myself being you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly um one of my absolute idols growing up uh watching her you know every afternoon or morning rehearse in the studios and and I remember there was a guest um I remember this very vividly this story I think I've only told it once before but and I won't use names but if you do enough research and listening of the podcast you could probably (laughs) work it out if I'm honest we had a very big superstar come to the Australian Ballet from uh, the US, very big, famous company. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, we were all obsessed. And in the lead up to his arrival, his part de deux partner that was in the Australian Ballet Company was the person that I just idolised. Like, I just thought she was amazing. I wanted to be her. And I watched before he arrived her body completely change she used to have her body like me like it was really athletically built and that's why I looked up to her because she was one of the only ones that was like she was me I saw myself as her and so I was like you know like you can't be what you can't see and so I saw her as this beacon of hope that I didn't have to be teeny tiny you know and lithe and super thin and so when this superstar was arriving she started really just looking miserable, body weight fluctuating, lost all this weight, and I didn't see myself in her anymore. And I thought, my gosh, I'm done. If if she has to do that and she is at the top of her game and at the top of top tier level and she's the one chosen to dance with this superstar from the States, what hope do I have? <laughs> And that was that was really just a huge breaking point for me, a huge breaking point. And I was like, and I know you shouldn't put all your hopes and dreams on one person. Like looking back, you know, that's silly. Um, but we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have social media. I didn't know who Misty Copeland was or do you hmm. know what I mean? And so, yeah, um, yeah. so it was really hard because at that age you get heartbroken. Most ballerinas oh. don't, don't fall in love with boys. We fall in love with our idols. <laughs> And yep. I was heartbroken. So that that was a big one for me where I just sort of went, you know what, <sighs> I think I'm done with ballet. And I did. I left everything in my Aussie ballet locker, which I'm still a bit sad to to this day, but, you know, hindsight's great, isn't it? I did um, this choreographic competition. Then I went back to the locker rooms and I put my tutus and my point shoes and everything in there. I closed it and was on the next flight to the Gold Coast. So obviously that decision didn't happen that quickly, but, you know, there was a lot of agonising over it. But I just couldn't see myself in that world anymore at all. Yeah. And I guess 
it would have been part partly you were saying goodbye to that dream, partly you were saying goodbye to ballet. You were saying goodbye to the Australian Ballet School, absolutely, goodbye to Melbourne getting on that plane. But did it also feel like you were saying goodbye to part of yourself, yeah. part of you, I didn't know the, the any you better. that you knew yourself as? Mm. I didn't know any better. Like ballet was my life. And when we were at a family barbecue, it was Georgia the ballerina or my daughter that mm. does ballet. Um, mm. I was defined by that. So that was really, really hard because then it's like, well, if I don't do ballet, who am I? Mm. Um it was funny though, like I think back to that time and I had another friend who was sort of on the fence about staying and we used to talk about like, you know, oh, what if we were normal, you know? Yeah, what life a, could be we like. Could be, we could be a real estate agent and we could eat donuts and not, you know, <laughs> be sad. <laughs> yeah. And we could, you know, be a uni student maybe and we used to actually sneak into the Melbourne Uni Lectures Um and wow. just up the back and pretend to be a student. And there was one time where the school called mum and dad, who were on the Gold Coast, and said, Georgia hasn't shown up to class. And they were like, what do you mean she hasn't shown up to class? And so they called me and I had to walk out of a Melbourne lecture, Melbourne Uni lecture, and say, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm just with, I won't name my friend, but <laughs> we were we were just watching um, a lecture at Melbourne Uni. And mum and dad are like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> We're what? paying all this money for you to be a pre-professional ballerina and you're wanting the uni life. I don't know. It just was I could actually, even though being a ballerina was part of my identity, I think probably moving to Melbourne also opened up my eyes to the greater world, like mm. what was out there and the possibility. And and when I did leave, people don't believe me, but I never thought I would ever return to dance, ever, mm. ever. That happens so often. I hear that, you know, I'll have people walk into my studio now and they've got their three-year-old with them and they say, I haven't danced since I was 15 because I was dancing. And then as soon as I left, I completely cut it out of my life. That was it. I, you know, I didn't look back, but now my daughter wants to dance. And so here I am. And so I hear that quite often. And I'm not surprised that you want, you know, just wanted a completely different life for yourself that didn't involve Georgia, the ballerina, that was just going to be Georgia. Georgia, yeah. And to that point that you just said, I think in building my own studio, what was really important to me, and I didn't know how to do it at the time, but now I can see so clearly how just through what we do now at my studio, is that I wanted ballet to not be something that you finish at grade 12 and walk away yes. from. And then your little girl does it. Why mm -hmm. can't you continue doing it? Mm -hmm. So even though adult ballet was a business born within my business, and even though I didn't know it at the time, when we kept our, you know, created our tagline, um, dance community lifestyle, um, that's never changed since, you know, 2013 when I opened the studio. I didn't even really know what it meant at the time. <laughs> but now I know yeah. that it means that if you're part of our dance community, you can be part of your, our dance community if you're three or if you're 83, mm. 93, 103, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I love that so, so much so important and that's a big value of mine it really is and I love that I love that that is part of your brand and part of what you do because there is this stigma that you dance until you graduated high school and then you just become a member of the theater that you just go and watch dance you don't do dance anymore or your and child that's not goes the same or your mm. child goes to dance that's not the same for you know 
the kids that we grew up going to school with that did netball or soccer, they don't stop when they're 18. They continue playing. People are playing adult netball and mixed soccer this and that. And I don't know about you, but what I found was after I'd had some time away from ballet, I really missed it. Mm. I didn't miss the, you know, the um, standing up straight and the the working really hard. I just missed the music. Yeah, I didn't miss the rigor. I just missed the music. I missed the movement. I missed the take a breath as you, you know, breathe those arms and and step into that world for for an hour. And you've created this beautiful community where people get to experience that all the time, which I think is so special and unique. There are people doing adult classes all over the place that are here and there, drop-in classes, four-week session. But what mm-hmm. you've created in creating a community of adult ballet is is this beautiful group of people who are in your studio live, but also online all around the world that are able to go back to the bar, that are able to hear that music and revisit themselves and revisit that passion and that love that they had. And I think that's so incredibly beautiful. Because there's two different kind of clients. So sort of if I had to sort of box my clients, which they're all very different and from various backgrounds, but if I had to put them in two categories, you've got the category of students who have never done ballet before that really wanted to, um, perhaps they couldn't afford to as a child, which is a really common story. Um, mm-hmm. So they now have the opportunity as an adult to fulfill that that dream. I don't like saying a childhood dream because then that still boxes ballet as being childlike. Um, mm. But, you know, they still have the, the time and the chance to fulfill a dream. Um, but then the other category would be those that did ballet, like yourself and I, who grew up doing ballet, there's a beautiful familiarity with us and knowing what's coming next, you know, within reason. <laughs> um, yep. That just calms you. And I don't know how to explain it, and I've tried to explain it to mum before because I can honestly be in our office. I may have had a terrible phone call or something go wrong in the business or a stressful day or someone said something to really annoy me and I can feel like my blood is boiling. And then I have a adult ballet beginner class scheduled and I have to get it together and I walk mm-hmm. through that door and the moment I place my hand on that bar and start teaching and we go through warm-up and plies and tondus and it's so familiar and comfortable, mm-hmm. it just, my whole nervous system just, and I walk yeah. out feeling so much better. So it's funny how my students thank me for giving that gift to them, but in me teaching, I get that same gift as well. So, yeah. Beautiful. It's, it's, yeah. And I mean, like my husband, he surfs and he's grown up surfing his whole life. He's part of... Shout out to the Narrow Neck Longboard Club. <laughs> but, you know, it's a club where you can be a teenager and part of it or you can be a 65-year-old man. And so he grew up in this club and he's continuing to be part of that, you know, well into his adulthood. Now, why can't dance and ballet be exactly the same? Because I think mm-hmm. it is really sad if it's not. Because then what do you do? And it's like, oh, I used to have a hobby, but I stopped when I was 18. Yep. And what do I do for myself now? Well, I tried the gym and it didn't do it for me. Or, I, you know, some of my friends go for a run and they want me to come with them, but I I don't. like Pilates is okay, but, you know. Yeah, Pilates is kind of there. (laughs) It's kind of like the Diet Coke. Like it's it's a bit of familiarity. Like you know kind of what what's coming next and the yeah. movement feels very familiar but it's not 
it's not quite the same, but you've created this environment where people can can go back and and have that same experience. I know the feeling you mean about just being able to bring the nervous system down. I remember being on a long haul flight from New York home to Australia and being delayed in Shanghai for like 48 hours and stuck in a hotel that was, you know, the size of this table. And <laughs> and I had my iPod with me at the time and it had ballet music on it. And so I I went back, I, you know, put my hand on the wall, took a deep breath and I did a whole ballet bar. And 45 minutes later, I didn't have a care in the world. I know that yeah. feeling of it being able to center you and 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 bring you home. Yeah. No matter where when you I'm, are. When I'm doing work, if I need some background noise, because I'm pretty good at working in silence, but you know how you just need sometimes something in the background? Yeah. I I know everyone loves white noise or what's fashionable now, pink noise, brown noise, you know, um, all the noises in the background, the Spotify playlist. Yeah. I literally play World Ballet Day off YouTube in the background. And just Beautiful. the sounds of the class music and the teacher teaching, and I'm not paying attention whatsoever, but there is something about that that is so much more effective for me. I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. The um, the the part, I'm, I'm really interested to know how the part of you that flew home and said no more dance merged into where you are now. What's the part of the story that we're missing where you fell back <laughs> in love? Well, I would like to say that it that it was like, oh, it's an epiphany. It really wasn't. I had a few local teachers find out that I came home mm-hmm. and I finished off grade 12 because I decided I wanted to go to uni. So I mm-hmm. needed to finish off grade 11 and 12 and I did that. And a few of the local uh, dance schools contacted me to teach. And... It was funny, though, I don't even know how it really happened because they sort of contacted mum and then she told me and she was like, oh, you should just do it. And I was like, nah, I'm not really interested. And then this is so not romantic. They said what the fee per hour is. Now, when you're (laughs) a 19-year-old, 18, 19-year-old, and the fee for teaching far outweighs what you could earn in a bar or mm-hmm. a retail job. Mind you, I had mm-hmm. those jobs as well. Um, I, there was one point I think I had four or five jobs at once. But I was like, oh, can't be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> and so I stepped back in the studio. I had no idea what I was doing. I do remember, and listeners will probably laugh because this is just so me. I remember. I would sometimes probably frustrate a few of the directors of the studios because I can't teach in mess. I can't teach with stuff (laughs) everywhere. And so if I walked into a studio with like stuff all over the floor or like it needed a vacuum or the kids had messy hair, I would not start class until they'd helped me clean the space and done their hair and then we would begin. So an hour class may have turned into like a you know, 40-minute class. I mean, a teacher wouldn't have to do that at my studio because obviously I can't teach in a studio without any mess. But if I was a studio owner and I had a teacher wasting time like that, I would kill them. (laughs) (laughs) I was the worst employee. But in saying that, over the weeks and months and as I became more respected by the students, they would start showing up with their hair in a bun and they would go, oh, you know, look at that messy corner of, you know, like um, lost property. We'll clean that up. Miss Georgia won't like that. 
And so yeah. I'd come into my space and they sort of like started getting it together and I, I <laughs> sort of started, you know, really falling back in love with it and on little trips or holidays I would try and find some open classes. I did some open classes in New York and L.A. and was like, this is cool. And, you know, I think that tri- those particular trips were really pivotal in um, wanting to perhaps plant the seed of how could I do this by, on the Gold Coast, um, mm-hmm. which in retrospect was quite um, a big endeavour <laughs> because, I mean, we don't have the kind of, arts population that or you know people interested in dance that you would have in those big cities I mean Melbourne certainly somewhere in Victoria but wanting to create a place where whether you're three or 83 years old you can come and dance that's Mm -hmm. yeah that was a a big dream without me quite realizing it was my dream yet Mm. if that makes sense but yeah so those dreams are the best dreams George are the ones that that you don't realize that how far out of their reach you are because you're young and naive and energetic and enthusiastic yeah. and you just launch into it and then you can look back in hindsight and say yeah yeah Ooh. but yeah no I wish I wish there was a more inspirational answer but it was just 18 year old Georgia who really loved to work I loved to work and I mm-hmm. wanted the money and I was yep. like you know what I need a car so <laughs> this get is to what work. I'm gonna do <laughs> and so what where did the transition to your own studio come from was that an idea because I know you work so closely with your mum. Was that something that you two had discussed before, you know, seeing the messy studio and the, the kids out of uniform and saying, well, when we do it, you know, when it, when it's my turn, it won't be like that. It'll be like this and it'll be like this. Yeah. So, so many um, dance studio owners that I work with as, as part of my coaching, you know, say I was working for someone else and I hated this and this and this. And so I started yeah. my own. Was that the case for you? Hundred percent. And we recently, yeah. <laughs> when I did a, a recent episode with Mum titled "Ballet and Business," um, yes. which I think if once this comes out, it was two episodes ago, um, we spoke about the fact that I would, whilst I was at uni, because a lot of people think that I did dance at uni, and I actually didn't. I did a bachelor of communications and marketing, so I actually love business. Um, mm. And so I thought, how can I sort of put my two loves together? That was the first thing. And the second thing was I was a super arrogant, pain-in-the-butt, young 20-something who thought I can do it better. And so I just said to mum and dad, um, this is my idea, and I kept submitting business proposals. And they would To mum and dad? To mum and dad, yes, because I needed some capital behind me. <laughs> so yeah. I needed, um, I you know, I wanted $20,000. Um, and we negotiated that a little bit and it did involve me, uh, selling my car at one point, (laughs) but, um, yes, they, you know, they didn't just go, it wasn't a case of, you know, because mum and dad didn't have that kind of money to just throw around. They, they really wanted to make sure that I'd sort this out and they made me think it over for years. I submitted, I think three business proposals over two years, three years. And when I finished uni, I, it was kind of like, well, I'm going to do it with or without you. And they said, oh, gosh, because, see, my parents have owned their own business, um, businesses, you know, sort of my whole life I grew up watching them. And I remember watching them being really stressed at points and, you know, trying to work through challenges. And, you know, not that they sort of laid that all on the table for us, but, um, 
you know, you're just a part of that, especially if your dad's office is part of your house. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> you know, but I loved going to, my dad was in insurance and I loved going to conferences with him and I loved, they used to get, I don't think I really do it anymore, probably post-COVID, a lot of companies don't have the budget for it, but um, they used to have really fabulous guest speakers. I remember going to conferences and I was obsessed with Mia Friedman, uh, who Beautiful. is, you know, now the um, now has Mamma Mia, which a lot of listeners, female listeners, would be very familiar with. And I remember meeting her and listening to her speak and um, Bear Grylls, like he was he was a guest speaker at a conference. And so I loved business, and I thought, okay, I've got two things here that I love, and I'm I think I'm pretty good at. I've never had a business, but I think I'd be good at it. And um, mm-hmm. I put ballet and business together. Um, there's no stopping me. But I think my parents' biggest concern was that the life of an entrepreneur is really lonely. And oh, interesting. Yes. And so whilst I had a university experience and, you know, did all of that and did the whole year 12 formal thing, and I think they wanted me to not be 23 opening my business. And in hindsight, a part of me does think that I would have been better off probably waiting till about 26 27 to open a business I mean you know hindsight is great and we may not be where we are today if I hadn't have done it at 23 but I made a lot of mistakes as a 23 year old and I was really irrational at times and I was a 23 year old (laughs) so you know um I just think and it was actually really hard working with parents when Mm -hmm. you don't have children not that you have to have children yourself but I was a baby. Do you know what I mean? Myself. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, in, in hindsight, I, I would and should and would recommend <laughs> waiting and have a little <laughs> bit more life experience behind. Um, but I've had to work really hard at that and learn along the way. And I think finally in the last five years, I reckon I've, I've really, you know, got that down. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to. I have my own child coming along now, so I better get it together. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I feel as young anymore do you know what I mean but yeah mom and dad were just like we're just worried that you'll be isolated do you know what I mean Mm. yeah yeah and have you found it isolating has that come to fruition have you found I Um, mean the role of leadership I find is always quite lonely but but hmm. you seem to surround yourself with other people who love learning. I know that you go to a lot of conferences, you're involved in a lot of um, groups and communities. Have you found it as lonely as they were concerned that you would? Um, I had, I've had been really lucky and I've had, I've got a really good close of uh, group of friends. Uh, one of my best friends, um, I'm a godmother to her child, uh, Kate, she owns a studio down in Currumbin and um we found each other pretty early on in our studio owner life and it was really nice having someone to call and be like, hey, like you're the only person that understands what I'm yes. going through right now <laughs> and then just having a core group of friends that I could lean on. But I'm actually quite uh, introverted. Um, so I don't need a whole lot of Friends, I I just like having some really close ones, and I guess I'm really fortunate with having an amazing sister, um, and brother and family. So, I yeah, I am I work pretty well as a lone wolf. Like I think, I think it's different at the studio. People would maybe think I'm more extroverted because when you're taking a class, it's almost like performing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so you have to be absolutely. like absolutely 
hey, you know, like here I am and this is what we're doing and you have to be really energetic and and very personable. And when people come through the door, and I think this is key if you have a bricks and mortar business, is that you are just on fire when people come in and asking you about what's going on with their lives and being interested. Um, But besides that, that's like I've only got so much in the tank for that. Mm. (laughs) Like when I get home, I'm a zombie. Like (laughs) Dan, Dan, my husband, is like, he he asks me questions and I don't answer and he's like, yep, that's fine. I'll just talk to myself. Like, cause I just don't have anything left. And he's, just used, he's used to that now. He's like, I'll talk to you in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm out, I'm out of gas. <laughs> yeah. I'm quite introverted and I, and I can, I'm very good, which I think is a valuable skill at spending time with myself. So yeah. Um, doesn't really worry me. Yeah. As much as probably my parents thought. <laughs> I love that, that you go into the studio and kind of, expel all of that energy and also get energy from your students mm. but then you go then you go home into your own yeah. world and recharge and recharge in that way mm. I love that Definitely. so your parents made you set goals and and you know mm. outline what was important what's your priority Georgia what's what's goal number one what if you were to do that task that they made you do every January now what's your I number do. one priority <laughs> now what's the what's the goal now um it's so funny because, like, I've literally built a whole brand around this, but every single year I want to achieve a little bit more balance. I feel like my kind of personality, and we discussed this in the ballet and business episode that my sister hosted and mum was part of, they both said in the recording, you are exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you are exhausting. And there's my brain just doesn't seem to stop it's always thinking of the next thing I mean you've come to the new studio and you've you know you surprised me it was so lovely so like just so the listeners know I was just at work and did you like message me and say something like oh are you, are you at, at work, work? <laughs> yeah and I was like yes and then like because you're in Port Macquarie so I didn't expect you to just pull up in my car park and show up <laughs> with the most beautiful bunch of flowers like and I think that's been really nice since opening our new studio just like how much love and support from people in our own industry, which was just so lovely. But again, I still sit there and I'm like, I'm sitting in my beautiful new building and our classes are pumping and I'm like, well, what's next? And it's like, yeah. my mom is like, can you just stop? Can mm-hmm. you just stop and just enjoy life and just be content? So this year for me, um, I sat down and, and wrote my goals out and I really wrote actually a schedule literally from Monday to Sunday what I what I aimed my week to look like which has wait for it some blank space <laughs> so right. time that is not filled with things to do because I'm such a to-do list person and so I think every year I'm not short of ideas I'm not short of goals what I do try and do is carve out some space for me to just be me. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I'm not perfect at it. And my version of balance, and I always say this, is probably very different to another person's. And sometimes people, you know, will say that to me, oh, you're the balanced ballerina or you have balanced ballerinas, but you don't seem to have much balance in your life. Balance for everyone. Who says that? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm saying that to you. <laughs> really? Yeah. So like a lot oh. of people though have 
varying degrees of balance. And it also depends what stage of life you're in, what season of life. But I was saying to mum, doesn't having a baby create more balance? (laughs) Will I be forced to slow down, Miss Stacey? (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say it, but no, the thing thing is you will take it in your stride as you take everything else in your stride, but you have, it gives you clarity on where you want to spend your time. Mm. and how you want to spend that time yeah and I say to my clients all the time we all have the same amount of hours in a week as Beyonce um how are you going to spend that time Mm. like it's up it's up to you if you want to spend it in the studio then be in the studio if you want to spend it on the couch playing Lego then spend it there but you're in control of that it's just a matter of figuring out how you're going to spend your time and then putting putting that in action and you'll yeah. you'll do that. You'll find this new this new stage and this new journey. But I do encourage you not to try and like facilitate every single idea schedule, that you get as you in. get them. <laughs> like, yes. So I like, so I can't schedule my child into my life. No. <laughs> no, you have to. You have to. And I and I'd say that without tongue in cheek because it sounds funny, but it's actually true. You're going to need to schedule. Okay, this is our nothing time together. Not just this is when we're going to play Lego and this is when he's going to eat and this is like, but scheduling in that, okay, like I have Tuesdays with Henry. Henry is my youngest and he's five. He's going to school next year. And every, every child that I've had have had, have, they've had their own day where I don't teach and I don't have an agenda. We might have a swimming lesson or a, you know, sprockets to go to or something, but it's always time where we can just fill it with anything. And you'll, you'll find that, you'll find that time for yourself as well. It's an exciting, it's an exciting part of the journey. You get to, to grow your own. And did you say you're having a boy? Have I missed that announcement? I am. I'm having a boy. Yes. Little boys are so special. <laughs> oh. Yeah. He's actually kicking me right now, to be honest. So he's I saying, had a hot, I had a hot chocolate before I came up and he tends to like hot chocolate. So mum now comes into the studio and goes, um, I brought you a hot chocolate. <laughs> Cause she just wants <laughs> to feel him kicking. <laughs> and he's in there going, yes. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that. What has been what's been the hardest part of all of this? Of this this mm-hmm. journey for you? That's a really good question. Um I get very emotional about things that I've built. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get so you very should very emotional about something I've created Mm -hmm. or um, what I do for work. Um, Yeah. And, and I, and a lot of people would probably, maybe not be surprised by this. Um, I've learned some coping mechanisms uh, over the years, but I can get quite angry very quickly and a bit irrational and just like, oh, this is silly and just, what's the point of it all, you know, for five <laughs> minutes, for five minutes and then right. I'll snap out of it. Um, uh, like I'll give you an example. We had um, a client come in the other day. Oh, you're going to shake your head at this. <laughs> we had a client come in and um, we hadn't seen him all. Uh, he was an adult student mm-hmm. and we hadn't seen him all year. And I don't really care about telling the story because I think it's the rudest thing someone's ever said to me. But he came in and he said, um, you know, 
I've, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been unwell or anything. I just saw that Georgia was pregnant, so she'll be pretty useless this year. Um, so I've found uh, a new teacher, and I'll just sign up when you do master classes with guest teachers. <laughs> <sighs> and lucky I wasn't there, but my mum, he said it to my mum, and he relayed this. Mum relayed the story to me. And I was furious. Fuming, yeah. Fuming. I'm fuming for you. To the point where it honestly ruined like a whole day for me because I was like, I have worked so hard. I have given a decade of my life and, and you know, just to make sure that systems are in place to make a very logical and well thought out decision when I do have a child that everything ticks along smoothly and everybody's lives are not as impacted as as you know they should they need to be and for me to you know be so passionate about that decision for someone to say that I was just it was like an attack on me I don't even know yeah. how to explain it oh and yeah so I, I, I feel it inside my bones yeah so I think yeah. the hardest thing and then that's the funny thing I mean because you know I plan on teaching all next term you know, fingers crossed, hopefully, you know, everything's going really smoothly right now, but you never know. But, yeah. um, you know, if you came to a class, you'd notice that besides a little bump in front of me, there's nothing much that's changed. <laughs> so, Oh, I hope he doesn't come to class. I hope. Oh, I, I mean, know. he's done a beautiful job of, of, you know, moving himself out of your community. Oh, yeah. And thank goodness, because you don't need Mum was that not kind of nice. negative. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad. But and I guess the hardest thing is just like in a nutshell is I, I do get very emotional and very protective yeah. over what I've built. And so I can get very like, oh, like it just, it hits me hard, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's, you know, that's the payoff for being passionate about what you do. That's the payoff yeah. for caring. That's. You know, they say that grief is the price that we pay for love and in the same way, you know, you, that anger and that that protectiveness that you have is the price that you pay for having a business that you really care about and you wouldn't pass up one for the other. I'm so glad that he's moved himself along. Otherwise, I would have <laughs> Me too. had to make a little trip to the Gold Coast and move him along for you. Um, but you will come up against all sorts of nonsense like that now that you are going to be seen very publicly to be having competing priorities and there's nothing wrong with that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with you choosing yourself first. There is nothing wrong with you choosing your child first. There is nothing wrong with the studio playing second fiddle. And that's, that's in fact how it should be. Anyone that has a problem with that, they can walk on down the road. Yeah, Off you go. It's true. Off you go. And, and mind you, like I tell that story, but my gosh, like it's been so lovely. Like we have the most supportive um, community and, you know, what I you can see imagine on everyone's social... over the moon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, what you see on social media with, with um, our dance community is what you get. Like they're so loving and caring and supportive and the amount of knitted things, little tiny clothes that I've been given <laughs> and patchwork quilts and all sorts of things is just adorable so you know I think actually the hardest thing is that that switching off as a business owner you know how you can have 150 million beautiful comments and emails mm -hmm. and you know but it's one it's mm. one that you focus on and that yeah. would be the hardest thing for me and I'm trying really hard to learn to not focus on the one negative one 
um, and try and, you know, because you can't be everything to everyone. And I think that is what I find really difficult is, well, why aren't they happy or why can't I fix this, you know? So, yeah, it's it's a sort of a broad answer, but that would be the thing because, you know, we have amazing supportive community and everyone just, loves each other so much and loves me and is just so supportive and and um, so excited for this little baby to come along. But you can have one, you know, idiot that just ruins yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And also gives love you that a he spiral. I love that he came in to, to deliver that piece of awful information, but he got to stand in the luxury and gorgeousness of your studio in order to deliver exactly. it. So, exactly. yeah, <laughs> I hope the door hit him on the butt on the way out. <laughs> Georgia, I'm so incredibly in awe of everything that you do and everything that you've you've achieved. I so appreciate you sharing your story with your community today, talking about the good stuff and the bad stuff and everything in between. I wish you all the very best for the next part of the journey. Feel free to, you know, take that time for yourself and take that time for your little family and and indulge in that because it, you don't get it back. I'm sure everyone's saying that to you. You don't get the time back, yeah. but it's so true. And I know that your community will be there and ready to support you along the way on the journey. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to interview you. Congratulations on your 100 episodes. Yay. I can't believe it's 100 episodes. It's so funny when people like message me and go, I just discovered the podcast and they go (laughs) back and listen to episodes from like 2018. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. What did I say? (laughs) But um, I absolutely love all my listeners. And I feel like the podcast is sort of like a safe space. And I share stories and talk about things that I wouldn't maybe on social media or wouldn't, um, you know, just in, in general. It's like, I don't know, the podcast just feels like in the community a really beautiful place. And when listeners message me and they get surprised when I answer back, <laughs> I'm like, of course, like, thank you for listening. And, you know, their messages just mean so much. So yeah, it's just, yeah, I love the podcast and it gives me a reason to talk to my lovely Miss Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, anytime I'll come back anytime. Thank you so much for putting your hand up to do this. It felt really, um, when people suggested, uh, it felt very self-indulgent, but a few people asked and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's go. So thanks so much for offering to to do the interview. Thanks, Miss Stacey. Mm-hmm.